obviously my mother being a strong and powerful Nigerian woman, always keeping us grounded. Every time I've encountered any sort of setback, stumbling block, I go back and I think of my dad and I think of my mom starting over again in their 50s and being successful. So that's really defined and shaped who I am. And I use their teachings and their principles to guide me. I'm Raphael. I'm Cecil. Welcome to Family Man Building the Brand, the podcast that explores what it means to be a father, husband, and a businessman. Join us as we talk to entrepreneurs that are winning at home and in business. Join us as we talk about their journeys, family life, and tips for success. What's up, people? Welcome to another episode of the Family Man Building a Brand podcast. So today, this particular episode has been a long time in the making, and we finally have the honor of getting it done. We have a special guest in the house, someone I've known almost in my entire life. However, in the last five to six years, I watched her build and scale something massive and very special. So Here's a little bit more about her. We have a guest, Kiki James Gilman. Kiki is a zealous and fierce immigration attorney who is creative and unconventional in her lawyering. Known as the immigration baddie for her edge, style, and coloring outside the lines. Her career in advocacy and zealously representing immigration survivors spans over 12 years. She's an expert in all matters of domestic violence as they relate to immigration survivors, men, women, and children and empowers immigrants to take back control of their lives and chart a course on their terms through the green card self-petition process. As an immigrant, it has always been an honor and privilege to work her clients through this life-changing journey, one that is very personal for her and rewarding. She's intentional about her work and has built a successful firm with a reputation for winning cases through uplifting, empowering, and liberating her clients. Kiki is recognized in her community and certainly a role model. She was recently invited to speak to a group of first-year students at Mitchell Hamling Law School on the topic of successfully lawyering as your true and authentic self. She has won numerous awards for her advocacy and human humanitarian work, including, but including most recently, she was recognized as one of the 100 Black lawyers in the United States. She's a wife. Well and a mother of three beautiful and adorable boys. She's a fitness and Peloton junkie and speaks <laughs> Spanish fluently and enjoys trips with her tribe. Welcome to the show, Kiki. Let's That's... go. Thank you. Yo, we I know we... that says everything in a nutshell about you, <laughs> hey, but we're going to peel back everything about that. But thank you, thank you very much. Welcome to the show. It's an thank honor to have guys. you on. Oh, thank you guys. It's such an honor to be here. This has been a long time in the making, and I'm so happy we finally got it to happen. So thank you guys so much, both of you. I think getting this together is what um, essentially an entrepreneur is. It doesn't happen easily and schedules, things happen, family, and that's exactly all of what we're about to talk to you today. So I'm looking forward to it. Now, to get us started, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I know we've given a high level and that's more of your professional. And, and that was a little bit into the personal stuff, but tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Thank you, Cecil and Ralph. First, I'm a boy mom. I have three beautiful boys. And in the last, I would say, 12 years, that's really defined who I am. 
I'm married to my law school bae. He's also a big part of my business, a big part of how I've grown professionally. And I enjoy just a good time with my girlfriends. Well, if I were to think about me, like 360, that's me, my children, my family, and my village, my tribe that support me and have really informed who I am today. That's what's up. Good to hear. And that's very important because I think the, the basis of why we do this show is to get people who want to become entrepreneurs or people who are on their journey to become entrepreneurs to understand that there is a facet to being an entrepreneur that involves the behind the scenes, the stuff maybe not everybody feels comfortable to talk about, which is yeah. family, but also behind the scenes of the entrepreneurial grind of what it takes to build a business and how all of that intertwines, the stress, the, the, the wins. And you mentioned something about your husband and, and working together. And I think today we want to unpack all of that so we get people to understand that it's possible. Now, Ralph and I always say, we don't think there's balance in, people would say you find balance and there's balance coaches and all that stuff. But ultimately, it's about how you make it all work and that type of stuff. So we're definitely going to be talking about that today. Exactly. And, um, but one of the first things I wanted to ask you, in your journey, Generally speaking, what part of your story would you say has shaped you the most? Absolutely, my parents. And as you lost them both within the last year, my father came to this country at almost 60 years old and started his medical career all over again. So watching that tenacity, that determination, that resolve to lay the foundation for me and my siblings to be successful. So my father and my mother, obviously, my mother being a strong and powerful Nigerian woman, always keeping us grounded. Every time I've encountered any sort of setback, stumbling block, I go back and I think of my dad and I think of my mom starting over again in their 50s and being successful. So that's really defined and shaped who I am. And I use their teachings and their principles to guide me. And before I hand it over to Ralph, okay, I want to say something when you mentioned in their fifties, because I was listening to another podcast where it says, essentially in your thirties, you figure out life in your forties, you make as much money and in your fifties, you slow down. And that was just his theory, which kind of makes sense. But, but one of the things he was saying is when people start getting to their mid forties and even fifties, they tend to be set in their ways and as a result, don't necessarily want change for both of your parents to immigrate to America. And we all know going back to law medical school is like, it's not an easy thing. So it's right. almost having to unlearn, even though it's things, yeah, it's, it's almost having to unlearn and learn a particular way, the American way, if you want to put it that way. And that's admirable. So kudos Absolutely. to your dad. And for those who don't know, and this is maybe an inside thing, and I could say today's actually his birthday. So make sure you rest in peace and happy birthday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man. Happy birthday. Teddy. Yes. Hey, guys, for audience listening in, me coming into this conversation really serves more as an outsider in. There's a lot of intrigue when it comes to Kiki. There's a lot of intrigue when it comes to our Sierra Leonean community, there's a lot of intrigue when it comes to her just being my business partner's family, things of that sort. There's a lot of intrigue that I always want to know, and I'm glad that I have this opportunity now to really find things out. And I I'm really curious, Kiki, we all come from an immigrant background. 
different stories. I was born here in the States, raised by an immigrant, single mother and grandmother. What was your childhood like growing up and your parents immigrating to the States and that now really encouraging you, really inspiring you to become an immigration lawyer yourself? What key things happened in your childhood or what was that like growing up in that space? So a lot of my childhood, we moved from country to country. I feel like I've always been an immigrant. So I was born in Germany. And a lot of them were like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, I was born in Germany. I'm not German, but I was born there. <laughs> wow, see? Again, and then, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so we're all born in Germany. And then we moved to Sierra Leone when I was about three or four years old. Lived there until I was about 13, then moved over to the Bahamas and then came to the U.S. But my childhood, okay. I would say the most formative years were in Sierra Leone. And we were raised in a community where everyone played a part. And we didn't really have a lot of fears and walls that I would say we had here in the United States. Raising my children, I worry about them riding the bike and them going across the street and them having sleepovers. Growing up, these are things that we were allowed to just explore and do. And I think it allowed me as a child to just be adventurous and do things and figure things out. My parents were not your classic strict, super, super strict, be home by this time. They were not like that. They allowed us to really just do things. And we almost knew when not to overstep boundaries. And I think that being raised in that environment is why I am the unconventional color outside the lines. I dance the beat of my own drum today. And I think that's why I am where I am, because I just do what I want to do and figure it out. <laughs> and would you say that you would you say that you being an immigrant in so many different countries, so many different places in the world? truly motivated you to become an immigration lawyer? What were some of the setbacks that you suffered as an immigrant that really propelled you to say, no, I have to help others overcome these setbacks and hurdles? Absolutely. So being an immigrant in all these different countries never really hit until we got to the United States, right? Because our immigration system in the United oh, wow. States, it's built different. Yeah. So when we got to the U.S., we all came under our dad's visa and things started becoming real when I realized I went from one visa to another, but nothing was permanent. It was like, okay, you still don't have a green card. You still can't travel freely. And once I started law school, naturally, I was just interested in learning a little bit more about this system that I was in and wanting to figure out what my path was going to be. So then after law school, I realized, wait a minute, I've been taking immigration courses. I took an immigration clinic. This is interesting. I'll just go down that path. And also we had our own personal issues with throughout our journey. I did, my sister did, my brother did. And, and I realized that a lot of immigration attorneys were not serving immigrants in the manner that they should, because we saw that with our cases. And so my law firm and my brand is all about giving immigrants first-class service because they deserve it. And immigrants are not looking yeah. for a handout. They're looking for proper representation. And that's what we get. Man, that's interesting. There's so much to unpack in that. It's interesting as you go deeper into immigration, and I want to go back to family, but 
just to touch on this immigration thing, I was listening to a podcast of a kid who documented his immigration journey, having lived in America for 30 years, was born in Mexico, lived there till he was two, but he doesn't know where he belongs. So he doesn't consider himself Mexican-American. He says, I'm Mexican. And they say, why can't you call yourself a Mexican-American considering you've lived here? I don't have the papers. I don't have an American passport. And he finally was able to go to Mexico under the DACA and all that good stuff. So I listened to that. It was very interesting. And I was like, wow, I guess for me, I get to consider myself, I guess now an African-American because until then in college, when somebody said, where are you from or what are you? I said, I'm Sierra Leone. Because yeah. I didn't have then an American passport. Yeah. And I, I, I was born in Sierra Leone and I had a Sierra Leone passport. But right. I think another thing you touched on was having representation that looks like us. I remember when I was trying to figure out my transition to becoming American or that path. And I went yeah. to a lawyer in Cerritos, California. And I remember going into his office. He looked nothing like me, mm. spoke nothing mm -hmm. like me. And it was intimidating because I'm just like, how is this guy going to understand my journey, and it, it, it just seemed like a financial transaction where, yeah, yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. He just listens or maybe doesn't even in when you're done, this is how much it's going to cost you. If you're ready to do it, let me know. If you're not, it is what it is. Figure it out. So I think it's important for um, representation and, and all that good stuff. But going back to your immigration and you seeing going to college, another thing I wanted to touch on is family. You mentioned that you met your husband in College. And I want you to explain to the audience a little bit about that because I don't want to spoil it. I'll let you explain how you met him and, and maybe some of the continuation of some of the, I guess, I don't even know the right word, but how cultures get to mix and America being that melting pot. So tell us how you met him and maybe build a little bit of a story for us. Yeah. So yeah, you're right, Ralph. Law school, not college. I met him in law school in Minnesota. So I met my husband at our law school library. If my husband, he's not the library kind of guy. He's not the kind of guy that you'll meet in the library because he's a guy's guy, athletic. He's out playing football or something like that. So he's not, I was shocked. That's where we met. I was busy working on a law review article. He walks in. That was his, the first time ever going into that computer lab at the library because he normally never went there. <laughs> and I was talking to a friend of his. And the friend goes, oh, hey, my friend Benjamin is coming. He's actually said, Ben, would you like to meet him? And I'm like, not really. I'm busy. But sure, if he walks in, I'll say hi. Ben walks in. I look up instantly. Wow. Like, where have you been at this law school? Let's go, Ben. <laughs> like, it's been three years. How have I never seen you? But anyway, so he goes, oh, hi. I'm like, oh, hi. So he sits next to me. And because Benjamin's really shy at first when you meet him, but then he goes, are you on Facebook? I'm like, yeah. And he's, if I add you, would you accept? I'm like, you can join the line. There's a line. There's a lot of, of friends requests. I'll get to it. Get to it. <laughs> oh, man. Here's the part of Ben and I's meeting that I think was so serendipitous. And it, it tells the story of how we were meant to be together. Later on that night, we went out and we were talking and he goes, oh, I just got back from Israel and Benjamin's Jewish. And he just got back from Israel and he goes, and for the first time I'd heard of the country Sierra Leone. Cause I watched the movie blood diamond on my way back. And I'm like, that was the first time you heard of Sierra Leone. Like what's going on with y'all's geography, social studies in school. How do you know what Sierra Leone is? 
But for him to meet me literally two days later, someone from Sierra Leone, there's a saying that goes, coming events cast their shadows. That's what this was. You hear Sierra Leone for the first time in 25 years of yeah. living, and then you meet someone from Sierra Leone two days later who ends up being your wife, and that's how we met. That's how we met. No, wow. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. That's fate, like you said, that's, that was meant to be, and, and it happens, and you guys have gone on to build a beautiful, like you said, you mentioned earlier, beautiful family of boys. And mm. it's interesting because I have a son, I guess everybody on this podcast so far is a family of boys. Mm -hmm. Ralph has three boys yep. and you have three boys as well. And I know what it's, well, I don't even know what it's like. I know what it's like from afar to look at Ralph, see him raise three boys. And even with you guys, I know what it's like from afar to see you raise three boys. But I, I think for the audience, what is it like being an entrepreneur and having a family, your husband and, and raising three boys, yep. especially raising three boys in America? You know, it is, it's complex. It's a constant moving and shifting. I call it organized chaos. It's planning as much as you can, but leaving room for things just going left and going south. So my first, I've been licensed as an attorney for about 13 years. Okay. My first 10 years of being an attorney, I was a part-time lawyer and a full-time mom. That was non-negotiable. I had to be with my children. They were young. Caleb was the first one. And then Chase came along and then Colton. And so I've always had to find that balance between staying, keeping the pulse on my profession, my practice, and also being a mother. But having a supportive husband and having Benjamin there to help us manage our household. Because running a household is like running a business. You got to be organized. You have to plan things out and you have to map out. So I say it's, for me, it's been just a constant checking in to see how things are going, making sure we plan out our weeks. You have to plan. You don't want to wake up on Monday and there are no groceries. Yeah. Or you want to wake up on Monday and their laundry's not done. You wake up on Monday and then the missing socks. Because something as little as, I can't find my other boot for a snow day or to go outside, then that's it. I guess you ain't going to school then. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have seen it all, or I don't have any clean underwear. <laughs> or I guess, you're gonna, I guess you're staying home today, or you're going to school. That's what it is. It's just rolling rolling with the punches and going with the flow. No doubt. I'll let Ralph go in on that, because he can relate better to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I could definitely relate, especially with the forecasting and, and having to do it Honestly, Kiki, with three boys, you got to forecast so far ahead. Hey, there's an appointment next Thursday. <laughs> yes. We're starting to plan it now. We're moving the schedule around now to be prepared yeah. to have the time set aside for yes. next Thursday. Mm -hmm. But sticking on the topic of, yeah. of Ben, I, I want to know what role, what role does Ben play in the actual business? Because you're a dynamic person. You're a great mother. You're superior at that. I remember from the days of Caleb being a one, two-year-old, you coming to California and, and even the first decade of your career, you dedicated it to the kids. Great mother, but mm -hmm. you're also a great businesswoman. Mm -hmm. What role does Ben play in the balance of these things? So Ben's also an attorney, right? Mm -hmm. So Ben's an attorney. And so him and I, we bounce ideas off of each other as far as like the business, right? From the business perspective, 
he's also a master legal salesperson. Like he is phenomenal okay. at like closing deals. That's what he's done okay. for the last okay. 15 years. Okay. So Ben has really helped me um, shaping like the sales and the closing of deals from the business perspective. And then of course, going back to balancing the business and the family life, we figure things out. Like Benny, I have seven consultations on Tuesday. No, I'm not coming to the dentist appointment. I can't. No one. So you got to handle that. Oh, they have football and basketball Friday morning. I cannot go to that. You make sure. Or he tells me, oh, Kiki, I have, I'm booked out on Wednesday. Make sure you're clear. We just juggle yeah. back and forth. And also from the branding perspective, yeah. Ben is really good looking. So I've definitely brought him in on my social media. And he is definitely part and parcel of the family aspect of my, because my business, oh. a big part of my business is my family and my story. So he is definitely a part of that. And he makes really good for branding. Man, that's interesting. Yeah. That's You always, you give a lot of information that I think, how do we unpack all this? But first thing, the first thing you said was, and I think it's important speaking to a woman in this show, in this context is there's a lady called Ursula Brown. I think that's, if I'm not mistaken, she was one of the first black CEOs of a fortune 500 company. And I think HP, and she wrote that because of her role in what she did, she had to, she wasn't going to be the mother where when she would go to her kids games every so often all the mothers would look at her judgingly yeah. or she'd be sitting in the, in the bleachers on her phone and maybe 15 minutes in, she has to leave. And, yeah. but she said for her, it was okay because her and her husband had that understanding. The kids eventually had to understand that in order for her to achieve such greatness as to where she was, came with responsibility and consequences. So she credited her husband and, and it, it sounds like it's the same thing where in your case, because you're saying Ben's an attorney and Ben's a full-time yeah. attorney in a sales capacity. That sounds like a lot for him in his full-time role to still mm -hmm. be able to fulfill his responsibility. Because I know I've seen he spends a lot of time with the boys and being a boy dad in this case, where they're driven or I guess not saying driven, but they're connected to him in, in the sense that, like you mentioned earlier, Ben likes sports. So all the boys yep. yeah. love sports. So he has to spend a lot of time with them. I can only imagine how he juggles all that. But then you bring it to social media. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to touch on because you've built a business that has grown exponentially because of the power social. of social media. And I think a lot of people, they take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So I want you to touch on that a little bit more because you mentioned, yes, Ben's good looking. He helps you. But the truth is there's a lot more that goes into just being good looking and right. being a fierce immigration baddie to building a, a brand. I, I, we're going to get into the luring and how you scale the company, but how has social media helped you in, in, in that aspect? Into, right. I don't say exactly it's a strategy mm -hmm. that you've implemented. Right. Okay. I'm about to tell y'all right now, get the pen and paper out. Okay. <laughs> hey, I got go. it. I got let's it. Go. Let's We're go. ready. <laughs> so, so let's go back to 20, I would say 2021, I believe. That's early 2021. Cecil and IJ came to visit. So at that time, I still had, I've always had my personal social media, my personal Instagram 
And, uh, but then I also had my business Instagram and it was just sitting there with the one professional headshot, trying to keep things super professional, professional, like everybody else. And Cecil and I had a conversation. He's Kiki, what are you doing? Like you need to grow this thing. You're sitting at 87 followers. Ain't nobody liking nothing. Ain't nobody saying nothing. What are you doing? So I said, okay. I said, the, and I realized my, my, the problem was at the time. I said, I'm trying to keep my life separate, but this whole lawyer, like in a box thing is not working for me. Then I said, forget it. I'm like, we're going to take, I'm going to bring my entire personality on this law firm page and y'all about to get everything. You're about to get me going on my girls' trips. You're going to get me having a good time with my children. You're going to see me because I have magic, right? And I was hiding my magic because it doesn't fit in a boring little square because that's not me. The minute I said, we're done trying to please people who may want to judge and say, oh, she has on shorts or she has a bikini, that's when my business boomed. Because I have a, because I have something that attracts people. They're drawn to me, my personality, my style. And I was hiding that on an Instagram page where I wasn't getting paid. And I was trying to run a professional page that looked like everybody else's. And I said, we can't do this anymore. That literally is my secret sauce. Wow. So for everybody listening, that's personal branding. And and that's that's a big part of of the show, which it's in the name and in the sense that I think a lot of people are afraid to tell their stories. Yeah. A lot of people, and it's not overnight. Now, I, I would say this, and as you guys can attest to Kiki's personality, it all helps. So if you have this side of you that sings in the mirror every morning that's hiding, put it out there. Yeah. It is a part of you and don't be afraid to put it out because that is what people are going to embrace. And, and that's what people want to see. They want to yeah. connect with you. So kudos mm-hmm. to that. And I think that's absolutely I think that's I think actually one of the main keys is you being your authentic mm-hmm. self. I, I've noticed through my social that, yeah, yes. Kiki, you're right. When you try to fit within the box of the professional guy and la di da and mm-hmm. I, I my captions are properly worded with no spelling mistakes. Kiki, I noticed that when I do make error mistakes <laughs> or I do say slang. Those are the most viewed videos. Those are the most shared carousels. Those are the most authentic things that people can really relate to. So I, I, for everyone listening in, especially females, that's the gem. It, society, societal norms probably aren't conducive to who we really are. So yeah, we want to hide the personal and seem so professional outside, but you're not standing apart. So I think that was one of the major gems that mm-hmm. Kiki gave. Her authenticity was really what it was at, and she went all out, put it all out there. And that's what caused her biz to explode. Now, sticking on the social though, Kiki, we mentioned that, I know that you mentioned that the page didn't have a lot of followers and things of that sort, but another part of your magic is not having the huge following, but your social is booming. So unpack that because a lot of people really think that you need the millions of followers and the million comments and the million things of that sort in order to show that you're really, you know, working on social, but you don't really need all that. What part of your strategy is like, okay, the few that are following, I'm going to be able to wrap them in. What part of your strategy does that? 
So there's this thing called, I'm sure you guys have heard vanity metrics where you have people with 50,000 followers and a hundred thousand followers. And, and then you have some people with like multi-million dollar businesses with 2000 followers. Yeah. Right. So I have, I think my following on Instagram is like a little under 5,000. TikTok is approaching 30, but that doesn't matter. The question. <laughs> in the TikTok world, that's actually nothing because you got folks are like milk. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but hey, that's something. Right. It's gross. It's gross. But here's the thing: the people who are following me are quality followers. They, I wrote them in, yeah. and they're here to stay, and they're there to l- listen and learn, and then hire me. So I'm sitting at four thousand followers on Instagram. I don't really care because the question is. How many consultations are we getting a month? Yeah. How many cases are we closing? And how have we scaled in? I would say about two years because my firm went full time, no holds barred, nothing in 2021. I've been licensed for a longer time and I've always had a practice, but really I started scaling in 2021. So my, my, my firm really has been gone full time for about two years. I would say, yeah, the numbers, the numbers mean nothing. They really mean nothing. But, but mm-hmm. I, I think I, I want to add to that. The, the numbers, the visibility obviously helps. But I think for, for somebody like you, Kiki, it's important to know, what it, which is what I tell to a lot of young entrepreneurs today, that if I had somebody telling this to me when I was younger is you have to have a skill set. You are an attorney. You, yeah. And more so even than being an attorney, you have a niche. You specialize in immigration specifically. And we're, we're going to get into that now. So I, I think it helps because most people get on social without having yeah. any skills behind them. Even yeah. influencers, I would say an influencer yeah. who grows their brand has the art of sales. So in your case, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Ben has the art of sales. That influencer has the, the power of communication. That's their skill. They're able mm-hmm. to attract people because they have a wonderful, they have wonderful communication skills. For you, you have a, a massive skill set, which is one of the highest in demand in the world today in terms of professions always moving forward as an attorney as a lawyer i think that helps a lot so for people looking to say how am i going to figure this out i think if you have a skill set plus the power of social media you are going to be on fire in terms of um, building a law firm so now we're going to go into that tell us a little bit more about specifically what you do as an immigration lawyer because i think it's interesting for me having learned but i'd like the audience to know a little bit more about that yeah. yeah, absolutely. So immigration law is vast, right? So I specifically handle family-based immigration. We recently added some employment areas, which our associate attorney handled. And even within family-based, we only handle marriage-based green cards, fiance visas, visas for victims of domestic violence, and the humanitarian visas. So if you've ever been the victim of a crime or human trafficking, or you're seeking asylum, any kind of asylum, political you're running away from social groups. There are certain women in parts of Latin America that are persecuted just because they're women. So they come to the United States and we represent them in those cases. So even within immigration, I'm even more niche, family-based, humanitarian. And now we just started doing a little bit of employment-based immigration cases. That's pretty good. Interesting, I guess, for everybody. And I asked that specifically for people to know exactly because there could be people out there listening who need it these services so Absolutely. it's good for them to know but and yeah, let me just add around. this and let me just add this we so immigration law is federal 
which means okay, we sure. represent clients in all 50 states, not just in Minnesota, everywhere in the United States. We represent, we have clients everywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dope. Now, Kiki, staying on the, what exactly you do as entrepreneurs, the name of the game is you provide a solution to a valid problem. And that's where you really win. If you can provide that solution to that problem that majority of people suffer from, you're going to win in business. Would you attribute the immigration, would you act, would you attribute the immigration or the immigration situations over the past two years to your boom as well too? Has immigration law changed so much and affected things so much that when you were seeing and saying, hey, I could provide the service, a lot of people ran your way because of things deteriorating or whatever the sort is? Certainly our immigration system continues to head downhill. I think it's the way our, the way we, met, we present our message and it's our approach to problem solving. It is us finding that relatability with the potential client and connecting with them. A lot of our clients that come to us have been burned by other attorneys and they are now trying to figure out where do we go from here. The, the biggest complaint I get when I do consultations for potential clients is I can't get a hold of my lawyer. They filed my case five years ago. I don't know what's going on. No communication, no transparency. And I think because I am an immigrant and I think on a very fundamental level, I'm an ethical attorney. I'm very, I have, uh, uh, I'm very, I have dignity and I have empathy for immigrants. I take on cases as though they were my cases, right? So if I had an immigration case, I would want to know when you filed my case, are you following up? When shall I expect to hear from you? So we really give value. And also social proof is a big part of how our clients find us because we post our wins. And we win a lot. And another thing that we do not do, I don't overpromise and underdeliver. So when the clients say, can you guarantee me I'm going to get my green card? No, I can't. I can't guarantee you that. But what I can guarantee you is we're going to fight like hell. And that I can do because I can control that. I can control suing the U.S. government because I'm going to do it. I can control following up 10 times and bugging the hell out of them so we get a response. But I can't tell you what that officer is going to do on the other end of the desk. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think the value, the social proof, those are all kind of part and parcel of why we've done so well. Yeah. And Kiki, man, a lot of people, they, they're going to, they're going to find you. They're going to follow you, especially after this, after this episode, but talking about relatability, <laughs> Kiki, you might, I, I don't know if you took a Rosetta Stone course or things of the sort, but I see you hitting that Spanish online and that's drawing in, that's drawing in a demographic that has been marginalized, an immigrant demographic that's been marginalized. And I I take it that's a part of your strategy as well too. saying, Hey, I got to relate to these people. So yes, I may be of a different skin tone. I may be of a different descent, but Hey, we're going to knock out that Spanish. So that's another key gem right there, too. For... <laughs> hey, y'all cut it out. <laughs> I think that's, that's a great part of your strategy. And, and how did you get to that point, Kiki? I'm honestly wanting to know, how did you get to that point? Is it, were you already fluent in Spanish? 
did you figure, hey, I got a huge demographic here that needs to help and I need to relate more, so I'm going to learn this? Did you invest in that? Uh, you know, how did the Spanish become a mm -hmm. part of the strategy? So actually, me learning Spanish was had nothing to do with a money-making strategy. I legitimately loved the language. So let me give you a little background. My first language ever was German, right? That was my first language. We moved to Sierra Leone. My mom was like, y'all don't need German. You need to learn Igbo. So we lost the German. We never learned the Igbo. So here we are. I only spoke English. So I always hung on to the fact that I didn't speak another language. So once I let go of that and said, you're never going to learn German, I developed this love for Spanish. I like the way it flows, the culture, the Latino culture kind of mirrors the African culture. It makes sense when you think of Atlantic slave trade, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I started, so I, my first exposure to Spanish ever was 2017. I woke up one morning, wow. literally walked to my computer and I typed in how to speak Spanish in YouTube. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, I just dove in. I had never... Never learned Spanish in school, never been to a Spanish-speaking country, never had any exposure. I taught myself Spanish. And then once I started learning it, because I loved it, yeah. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You need to start communicating and reaching out to potential Spanish-speaking clients. Yeah. And it just yeah. went, yeah, I, I went to Mexico. I've been to Mexico at least four or five times. I got a tutor, and I just immersed myself wherever I was. And it's been amazing. What's interesting about all this and you're dating this stuff, which makes it amazing. And I think for entrepreneurs listening, a lot of this has been accelerated in the last six years, but it's been brewing for much longer than that. Just like you've explained what your parents instilled in you, what they, what you've been taught, whether your skills and your profession and all that good stuff, but it's almost like compounding. And then in the last six years, everything just took off yeah. from yeah. Obviously, learning Spanish to becoming a full-time entrepreneur and obviously utilizing your skill set as a lawyer. What would you say has been the number one characteristic that has led to your success? Or, or what attributes do you, do you think have led? Because a lot of us or a lot of people as entrepreneurs could still do all these things and not never get to see the success that they want for themselves. But you have grown that and we're going to even get into that even deeper. So what would you say is, are the characteristics that have led to your success? I think you have to want it. Like you have to really want the success. Like you have to literally picture yourself in the car you want to drive, the home you want to live in, the vacations you want to take, the clothes you want to wear, the jewelry you want to floss, whatever, right? You have to see yourself and then say, okay, I'm here. I'm trying to get over here. And you got to take action. You literally have to physically do the things, right? So if it's, so for me, okay, I have a skill, I'm an attorney and I provide value. And that was really important that you pointed that out. Cause it's not just about getting on social media and having followers. Are you giving value? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that for me is creating content, right? Creating, going into my INA, uh, Immigration Nationality Code, pulling out information and feeding it to the audience and teaching and teaching. For me, it was saying, okay, Kiki, you're going to get dressed up today, get your makeup done, get your hair done. You're going to sit here and you're going to make 10 videos explaining marriage-based green card and, and VAWA and asylum and say, and you're going to do that once a week for three hours a day, whatever. And you're going to be consistent with it. 
And when you start to see the return, that continues to propel you and it inspires you to keep going. So that was, so for me, it was a combination of really wanting nice things and making sure I still have nice things. And, and I really love what I do. Let's be very clear. I really enjoy my job. So my, my, my job is at a point now where I mostly just focus on the social media because that's what brings the clients in and I really enjoy it. You got to want it. You have to have a vision for where you're trying to go. What are you trying to accomplish? And then do it. You have to do it. Man. You got to do it. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's, it sounds simple. And this is the thing I always see. You mentioned consistency. And I think yep. you even gave a game plan of spending three hours. And I'll give a funny behind the scenes because, Ralph, it's interesting. Kiki was here once. And I remember her waking up in the morning and came back from dropping off Kenzo and she was fully dressed. I'm like, where are you going? She's like, nowhere. I'm like, what do you mean you're going nowhere? You're dressed. She's like, I'm going to work. I'm like, but you're working here at home. And yeah. she was like, I got to I gotta be dressed to feel yeah. good. And yeah. these are the little things that yeah. are important in the sense right. of being comfortable. In her case, that's what comfortability is for her, but also showing up. I think in, in your mind, most people get dressed when they want to go out because they want to look good, feel good, and feel confident. Right. So when yeah. you do that, even in your work setting, you get to feel good, look good, but you get to show up for yourself and your audience. And I think Kiki mentioned it. She's intentionally doing the work, yeah. but consistently. I think yeah. we hear a lot of that on social media yeah, and we take it yeah. for granted, yeah. but we've heard it. We hear it every day. If you, if you go school right now, you're going to keep hearing it, but... It's important that we always do that. And, and, and as a result of that, I wanted to even say something because we've talked about lowering and entrepreneurship. You get to wear two hats every day. And I know you mentioned you've built a team now where you're able to spend more time visit outwardly promoting your brand. You can almost say advertising if you want to put it that yeah. way. Right. What's that process like? Because you've had to scale, but uh-huh. you've had lowering and entrepreneur and I would say, I'm not even going to ask you which one I think is more difficult, but what's the process being like to now start and scale a business as an entrepreneur? So first, going to law school does not teach you how to run a business. I think a lot of coming out of law school, we assume, oh, I'm a lawyer. I'm licensed. I can run a law practice. Doesn't work that way. Right. And I realized that once I started the scaling process, because I would say whatever my firm was the first 10 years, it's nothing like what it is right now. Running a business requires sitting back and really observing the things that are not working. For me, I said, okay, this is the business I have. It's a law practice. It starts with a client and a potential client picking up the phone to call us. And I had to map out the entire potential client journey through becoming a client, through processing their case until resolution. And then you step back and say, but before the client, the potential client even picks up the phone to call, how do they find you? You know, wait a minute. So now I got to advertise and I got to, both got to see me and I got to connect with people. And then you build that asset. So for me, it was Social media. Okay, let's figure out how we're going to get our firm out there, get our branding. There are all these different, it was almost like working backwards. And then as we started to 
lay things in place, it is important to have your processes detailed and outlined. I always say our systems need to be so detailed that a completely new person coming into the firm can pick up a manual and read and figure it out. So running a business, that's the entrepreneurship part of my firm. The lawyering part, that's actually easy. And that's why I have an associate attorney and tons of attorneys that work for us because that is, that does not really, that's not, that's an easy part being the lawyer. It's managing people, putting systems in place, having policies and being able to effectively manage all the different pieces of the firm. That's what, that's what's difficult. And law school, maybe I should have gone to business school too, because law school did not. You're getting the school of the hard knocks. You're learning (laughs) through the school of the hard knocks, which is probably, I'm not going to say it's better than business school, but it's real life experiences. Yes, absolutely. And and I learned a lot from my mom. My mom was an entrepreneur. She started her business as a fashion designer. There are a lot of things that back then I didn't think I picked up on, but in running my business, I definitely implemented. So it's an interesting mix. Definitely. That's really good. It's key that you said that the field that you've gone, the the business that the route that you've gone, your skill set you've mastered, but you had never mastered the actual operation of the business. And no. you didn't learn that you're at a certain age and sometimes you're setting your ways and the, the saying is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But a part of this, a part of this journey as an entrepreneur, I know the first phase is mindset. And I want to get some I, I want to tap into that. How did you really how did you what tools did you really utilize? to get your mindset where it was at to actually operate the business, whether it was mentors, because we tell people all the time, a part of the mindset phase of this journey is getting mentorship. And there's a business mentor that could have been a lawyer mentor. That's just an example. What exactly, what exactly did you do Mm -hmm. to get your mindset focused on building the business and moving away from being a lawyer? You're still that, you've mastered that, but how did you get to become a business operator? Oh, that's a brilliant question, Ralph. So yeah, I had to join communities of like-minded people. Mindset is a powerful thing. So I have a coaching program that I'm a, I'm a part of and I pay a lot of money, but it's worth it because I have seen the return, right? I've seen myself transform. And this coaching program, I've only been a part of for about a year and a half. I've seen my leadership skills, my business owner, running a business skills, my mindset completely shift. Things that I think were not attainable are very much we've attained and passed. So it is so important to align yourself with like-minded people. I'm part of Facebook groups with a bunch of lawyers who are not business owners or who are trying to run a business, but they are not, they're not just that they're just not doing it well because their mindset is different. So coaching programs, communities of people who are trying to do the same things that you are doing. So you're able to bounce ideas back and forth. It makes no sense having conversations or trying to get feedback from people who are not trying to go where you're going. It's just literally, it's not going to work. Your network is your network. Yeah, absolutely. These these things, they sound cliche, but uh, I guess you're making them make sense to us and hopefully um, everybody else. And which is quite interesting because I think coaching, Leadership. You do not get to learn that from just being 
on social media and just like you said, talking to random people, yeah. telling right. you things that have nothing to do with what you want to do or just no, stuff about nothing. And an interesting part is we've seen, I've seen your business grow and we've, you've talked about what it took, the reverse engineering of growing your business of saying, I think you built a very good process of saying, okay, I have to go to the future and say, okay, what, this is what the yeah. client wants, but how do I make them yeah. get there? Mm -hmm. And what are the processes, your standard operating procedures and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. yes. As you've grown your business, first of all, how many employees do you have? Because I think, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, we've interviewed a lot of solo entrepreneurs and solopreneurs mm -hmm. and they, it's maybe one person business, sometimes one or two business. You've grown a business from, like you said, us talking about three, four years ago to what is that number today? How many employees do you have? About 14. Cool. 14 now, now employees. Now 14. Now I have 14. What's yeah, 14. It being like, okay. And what's it being like growing to have 14 employees? How do you keep the team? Yeah. Together, how do you go from, because you are now, like Ralph said, a business operator, yeah. just being an entrepreneur anymore, you are a business operator. What's it yeah. like managing 14 people? Yeah. Right. So we have different, different sec sections or different categories of our team members. So we have the attorneys, we have the paralegals, we have the legal assistants, and we have our intake, and then we have our sales. And then I guess me, I'm the, I'm the marketing, right? And again, it's been a process of defining roles, setting KPIs, key performance indicators, making sure everyone is doing what they're supposed to do, be metrics. Everything has to be measured, right? When a, cl when you, a client emails you, don't tell the client, I'll get back to you soon. When? I'll get back to you in 48 hours. I'll get back to you in 72 hours. And you better get back to them in 72 hours. I run a tight ship, and I don't know if that'll be interpreted as me being a micromanager. I don't care what that means. My business is successful today because I have standards, right? Because my yeah. firm is a reflection of me. We have enough law firms that don't care about clients. Trust me, they come to us and we see what the attorneys have done. When you, when you set standards for your team and they know what the quality of work that they're expected to produce and they know that, and they see, for example, some of my earlier paralegals who started with me two years ago, who've grown, they've just grown with the firm. They're doing well. They see those paralegals and that's what, that's where they want to be. It inspires them. Another thing I was going to say is also we have meetings. We have meetings every week. I have all kinds of meetings. I have my social media meeting. I have my case review meeting. We have SOP meetings. You have to have meetings so you're able to review the previous week and identify what went wrong last week, right? And let's fix it so it doesn't happen again. And that doesn't stop. That doesn't stop. Kiki, pretty, pretty detailed and, and intense. Yeah. And I just really quick, just to bank off of that, being that we're in this digital age and everything's pretty much online and things of that sort, I know a good portion of your staff is remote, virtual. How do you manage that process? Yes. Yeah. So one of the silver linings of COVID was me realizing, wait a minute, I can't even see my clients in Minneapolis. So I might as well run my operation from all over the world. So yes, I have team members in Colombia. 
I have team members wow. in the Philippines. I have team members in Honduras. I have team members everywhere. And we've, again, systems um, with, we, our, for example, our contracts are all through Adobe eSignature. We have our case management system that's online. We do all our meetings by Zoom, a lot of email communication. There's so many apps right now. There's Slack, which Cecil introduced yeah. me to. Yeah, we have Seth is a Slack master. I did not know Seth about is a Slack. Slack master. <laughs> Telling you, this guy right here, this guy right here knows a lot about. He just knows a lot about different things. So we use Slack, we use Trello. There's so many platforms and apps that allow for team engagement virtually, and it's been a, it's been a process, right, to iron things out. But yeah. yeah, we're running smoothly, and a lot of my team members have never met in person. Wow. Your immigration law firm <laughs> is no. built by immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. literally so yeah. I guess it makes sense that everybody gets to understand, like you said, empathy mm -hmm. and the sense of urgency for who they're dealing with. Because yes. I think immigration is a sensitive yeah. topic. People come and they, it's not like me saying I want to scale to a million dollars just because I want to sell t-shirts or whatever the case might be. Like, yeah. yeah, it's solving a problem, but it's a luxury problem. Mm -hmm. To be very honest with it, right? But you, you, you're solving problems that people need. It's a matter of life and death. It's uh, maybe not death, but for some people, it is. For some and people, it is. But it's a matter be? of yeah, mm -hmm. it's a matter of their dreams versus a reality that is bleak. And I think that's important. Now, to cap it off, to say all that, uh, you've mentioned intricately how you, you run that business, how your family has helped. My question would be. How does all of this fit into your familial responsibilities? I know we've talked about this, but then it's to explain all this stuff and it's yeah, damn, yeah. like how as a woman, as a mother, what are the challenges you face? Because we didn't, maybe we would have talked about, okay, Ben has to do all these things, but yeah. what challenges do yeah. you face or what do you see yeah. that limit you or empower you or help you as a mother to figure out all this stuff while still being successful? So the building of all these systems that we've just talked about happened, I would say, during COVID or as we were coming out of COVID. So now that I have these systems in place, Cecil and Ralph, I really have a lot of free time because now the firm can run on its own. Yeah. It literally runs on its own. I was just out for an entire week. So I have case managers and now I have an associate attorney. Yes, I, I'm CC'd on all the emails because I need to know what's going on. But I am at a place now where I can be out laying by the pool and responding to emails. Like the firm, I have built a law firm that runs efficiently, essentially on its own with some supervision. So I am not, I have, yeah, I have colleagues who still have to go to the office because those are the systems that they're still tied to. And I don't have to, I'm in my office right now. I haven't been here in two months. I don't have to come here. I have an office manager, my, my in-person, I have three people that come to the office and I don't have to, because again, those systems that I spend so much time building and putting in place and hiring people who were brilliant and reliable. You guys, I'm sure L'Oreal is my dynamic rock star from the Philippines. I also have another one, Alejandra, and, and many others, but L'Oreal and Alejandra helped me build this firm as far as systems yeah. to where we are right now. And yeah, it's running on its own. 
man, you that's, know what? That's, kudos, and I, I think that's the dream. Yeah, that is, that is a dream, yeah. and, and to put things more in perspective, that this is what we preach. This is a part of that entrepreneur's journey, and honestly, Kiki, after mindset, the second phase is setting the foundation. You now, three years later, we'll say two, three years later, after your initial buildup in 2021, you now have the freedom to spend whatever time you care to spend with your family, friends, travel, things of that sort. But that's because you set that foundation. And I want the audience to really take that gem away. We've broken down the entrepreneur journey from mindset. You go straight into foundation. And it was key that you did that then. Sorry, Kiki, you went through the anguish. You went through the ups and downs then. But you had a future goal of, being free and stepping away and being able to live life on your terms. So that's a major gem right there that I'm taking away from that. You set the foundation right from the Definitely. beginning and now it's on autopilot. Absolutely. I mean, it's, important that, yeah. it's important that people get to understand these things. Now, another thing is, I, I think you've even achieved the, the mastery phase, but I would ask yeah. you, of all the things that you've done, I know you mentioned coaching and, and, and all that leadership and, and networking. What's the best investment you've made in yourself that has helped take you to the next level? Yeah. In myself, the best, I would say my coaching programs, honestly, Cecil. So I have two. I have one that's mindset. I have one that's mindset. And I have one that is systems, right? That's the one I was just in California. It's okay. called My Legal Academy, and he and that program just taught. It's all about scaling and make like putting things in place so you are not constantly tied to your computer. Making the firm run. Those are because I invested in those two at the same time, and they both. It was just like I'm like okay, let's go all in. We're doing this, and they both ran parallel, and that's when the firm has. Almost 10 X. I'm not going to give any numbers, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, I know, <laughs> but Hey, wow. That's amazing. Trust me, people. Yeah. I know sure. context and, and everything. I've seen it. I've seen it go from, this is where, and the reason we brought Kiki on is, is to really get, she's really dive, dove deep into explaining what she's done. It's not just saying, Hey, this is what I do. I show up on social media. Hey, this is, I create SOP. She's actually gone into detail as to how she created these things. So I hope you guys listen to these things and understand that this is how she got to where she got to, but she didn't do it by herself. Yeah, She's right. telling you she made a lot of investment in coaching. Ralph and I have done that and we've yeah. seen the difference it makes in our lives in terms of going from one place to the next, because it unlocks your mind in ways you never imagined you could have the ability to even think to execute on doing things that um, you want to do. Definitely. Let me add something, Cecil. So the, your question was what I have done to invest Wait. my investment in myself. But let me yeah. say the other investment in the business was hiring people. And okay. that is one of that is one of the biggest kind of like terror barriers, roadblocks for people. How am I going to pay? How am I going to pay this additional person? And how and you have to hire people that are going to do the job. So you can remove yourself and go and rain make and bring the clients in. So we literally went from in 2021, we had two people and now we, we're at. So you, you have are to master, invest. Yeah. Yeah. Master delegator, which is good. Yeah. I think exactly. um, it's important for people to know that. So Ralph sent me a video where they asked a the guy like what he did and how he was able yeah. to 
have 70 franchises and he said he was a master delegator and yep. he had like you said it you he had to know what he didn't want to necessarily do all the time and found someone who was very efficient and good at doing it and he yep. delegated yep. but at the same time he oversees everything and i don't want people to see that as micromanaging right you are where you are in your business and you understand your business you would understand what you're trying to accomplish better than anybody else so you're going to do what works for you not what works for the standard or what works for everybody else. So exactly. keep that in mind. But that's yeah, this is some amazing stuff. In oh play. yeah, and I definitely it definitely reminds me one of the books that I've read recently, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. It's pretty much that's what it pretty much explains finding who can get the job done and not racking your brain on how to yeah. get the job done. So the case Kiki found right. Kiki found who can get it done. And not rack her brain on how she can get it done, and it freed up that time. And so, key gem. Now, Kiki, absolutely. Where, where can the audience find you? Powerful. Oh yeah, sorry about that. Where can oh. the audience find you? Yeah, in, yeah. No, um, so we're on any current upcoming projects. So we're working on a revamping our website. It's been an ongoing long project, but we're almost at the tail end of that. We are on social media. So we're on Instagram as the Gilman Immigration Law Firm. We are on okay. TikTok as Fly Immigration Lawyer. And we're also on Facebook. We have two Facebook pages. We actually have one for Spanish and one for English. We're also on YouTube. So if you just Google the Gilman Immigration Law Firm, it's just me. You can find we'll us put there. put it all as in below in the yeah. comment yeah. section so you guys can easily find this stuff because I think... This is going to be life-changing for all those looking for all Kiki explained earlier about like how she can solve your immigration problems. Yep. But I think for all the people who want to be entrepreneurs, who want to figure out how they get to do it as a mother with three kids, keep in mind. Yep. And this is going to be an inspirational story and you can reach out to her. To, to, especially because most people who will probably ever reach out to Kiki, reach out to her for lawyering, attorney type stuff. So Kiki, you might get a new lane because I might have to even reach out again to say, yo, you need to teach me how to like really scale and how you utilize all these things to really get to the next level. Definitely. It's been an, an amazing, a lot of information that yeah. is very relevant, very important um, for, for the audience to take you through. Now, I'd like to get to a part where I ask some questions that we ask everyone and hopefully um, you get to give us some exciting stuff. But the first one is you meet a new entrepreneur, what's the first piece of advice you give them? Ah, first piece of this is a lot, but what are you trying to do? What, like, figure out what you want to do. Figure out what you want to do. All right? If you want to get on here and teach people how to do makeup and that's what you really want to do, then do it. I think that's the, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And whatever you're doing, and whatever you're doing, you got, you have to love what you're doing. Otherwise it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. True that. Next yeah. is what is a digital resource that helps you greatly? Digital resource. Huh, we have a bunch, but if I were to think of the one that I utilize the most, Slack. I really love Slack because it allows the communicating I, it is, it's so efficient. You have all these different threads. I really love yeah. Slack. I really do. Yeah. Slack. I need I love a commission it. check for this one. Slack. Come on. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> yeah. 
I need an affiliate for this one. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. We use Slack literally all day, every day. So, um, Ralph knows that. Now, last one is what advice would you give to a new mother and husband and wife? So, so spend so the new time mother, with the kids. Yeah, and wife. Right. Spend the time with the kids when they're young. You're not going to get that back. Like I, my first 10 years, I was with my children. Now that they're older, I don't have any guilt about, oh, not being there because I am there. But the point is I gave them those early formative years. I would say spend the time with the kids. That's my advice to a mother because what happens is when they don't, then there's this back and forth. There's this guilt trip. There's this, yeah. give them the time in the early years and then go on to what you need to do. That's what I'll tell them. Now, dope answer the, there, man. The, the husband? The wife, not the husband. Oh, that was a mother. A wife? Hmm. <laughs> Collaborate <laughs> with your partner. Hey. Collaborate. You gotta go. Listen. Yeah. That's Marriage key. is not. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we might have to do one just, just based off of that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, marriage is hard for anyone who wants to come in here and act. Look, it's hard. I've been married for almost 13 years yeah. and we have our moments. You got to collaborate. You got to compromise. You got to have conversations. It's constantly work. So just keep working at it. It sounds cliche, but it's true. No, no. Hey, this, this has been... And amazing. This has been like super, super amazing. I think Ralph and I have learned that. I always say we learn a lot from, in, this is like every interview we do is like a master class for us to learn yeah. and reminders of things that we need to do more often in our lives, in our businesses. Okay. This has definitely yeah, been an eye opener. No, it's, it's been, been a definitely, lot of information. Oh, Thank yeah. you. And provided a lot of insight. And me, Cesar, I always want to, you know, I want to re reinvigorate or just, I've, for the lack of terminology, I want to let the audience know and, and recap on the gem that, that Kiki threw out. And that gem is being, what advice would you give to a new mother is spend as much time when they're young. I, I just recently saw yes. a video on social media of Busta Rhymes. Okay. Busta Rhymes, he achieved yeah. one of the biggest achievements in his career. And someone asked him like, man, oh, okay, we understand tears of joy and things of that sort, but why did why were you so emotional on that stage when you was when you received that BET Lifetime Achievement Award and things of that sort? And he said it was because he looked at his kids in the audience and he knew the days of their birthdays, he'd be in a black SUV on a flight, going to go do this. On on, on child's first basketball games, he'd be at a Chris Brown video filming this. On graduation days, he would be overseas doing this and that, chasing his dream, his passion, chasing the cash per se. But when he looked at them in that audience, the amount yeah. of guilt that came over him saying, look at them cheering me on here at this level, but I've, I've sacrificed so much and couldn't yeah. give them as much when they were younger. So that hit home. That definitely hit home. And I always want to reinforce, yeah. right? that was the term I was looking for, reinforce that gem that she threw out there saying, spend as much time as possible. I know sometimes I get that guilt having yeah. three children, um, um, guys, where it's okay. I may have to, I have time to go to one's karate um, um, session, but I don't have time to go to the other one's back to school night. And on the weekends, it comes, you feel great that you did go to one, but then you neglected the other, quote unquote, neglected. So find that balance, but pour into the family, like mm -hmm. Kiki is saying. And at the same time, find that balance, do that overtime and build on the side. But 
make sure you're present, make sure you're there. Because that guilt, once you have that successful business, the successful brand, that guilt probably doesn't amount to the amount of successes yeah. that you've achieved. So that was a key gem. Thank you for that. And, and to put it in context, Kiki is still a young ba immigration baddie and she still managed to raise her children, spend the time, like she said, a full-time mother and a part-time career person in the early stages of her kids' lives. And I know those kids and they've turned out to yeah. be great kids. Don't be afraid to do what works for you. And yes, right. you're not going to get back time. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like a two-part thing. Spend the time with them because you're not going to get it back. But don't be afraid to remove yourself from societal norms, which says you have to be at work. That's why yeah. you have a partner. You talk these things out and what works yeah. for your family works for your family. Don't pay attention to what anybody else will say or well, whatever they say on the sides. It doesn't matter. She did right. what worked for her family. They did what worked for them. Yeah. And um, still later on and in, I'm not going to say even in a very short time, all that has built up to her building a very successful law firm and, 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 and business. So yeah, thank you very much, Kiki. We appreciate you. This has been Guys. amazing. And all the good information we've gotten from this, hopefully when this airs, the, the audience is going to love it and eat it up and hopefully exactly. use it to actually take action. That's the most important thing. Exactly. So, so Ralph, absolutely. Yeah, everyone listening in, you guys know what to do. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow. Make sure to leave us a review or a comment, especially on this episode. If you found this advice life-changing, share it with someone. You know, this has been a great dope episode of Family Man Building the Brand. Thanks again, Kiki. And this is Cecil. Ralph, we're out of here. Until the next time. Thank you, guys. That's it for today's episode of Family Man Building the Brand. We hope we left you with a ton of value from this episode. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a rating and a review. This helps our show gain traction with other listeners just like you. You can join our community by subscribing and following Family Man Building the Brand on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, we're family and together we build.